Well, it does not take a discerning person to realize that our culture, the world we live in today, particularly our culture in America, is a culture of of fear. A culture of anxiety. And it seems to be heightened in these days. It's not that we haven't had these kinds of issues in our own lives to deal with. Fear and anxiety. But that in this moment, it it is as if in this point in time, there are all kinds of crises that are converging that compound and exacerbate the already human problem of earthly fear and anxiety. I mean, I can think of three major things that are going on right now (laughs) that have people shaking in their shoes, so to speak. I mean, it's obvious the COVID crisis has turned the world upside down. Statistically, there is an increase in depression and anxiety and suicide because of this tiny, invisible, microscopic pathogen that we label COVID-19 when it makes a person sick. And we not only have the COVID crisis, we have social unrest in our country with all the rioting, with all the looting, with all of the violence that's taking place. All of the anarchy. That is not of God. There is nothing righteous about it. And there are a lot of people that are scared. I talked with a second cousin of mine not too long ago who literally is is concerned when they go to Walmart. Not knowing what might happen, what might erupt, what life-threatening situation might emerge. Then in our nation, we are in an election year. There is political unrest. There is, there is a, a spirit of violence, that's my language, in the midst of the political infighting and war that is taking place. And it's rightly so. There is so much at stake in this coming election. Democracy as you know it is threatened. Innocent, unborn babies are at a greater risk. And I'm not preaching politics, I'm just preaching truth and morality in that moment. So there's all of this Fear, all of these things are converging and they're knocking at our hearts 
door to disturb us, to make us anxious, to, to allow our lives to become dominated by fear. And it, that, to allow our life, listen Christian, listen person born of God. To allow fear and anxiety to dominate us. That is not walking by the will of God. It is not God's will that you live in that way. Perpetually. That is not God's plan for His people. And Satan knows that, and demons know that, and Satan and demons delight in doing things to try and heighten anxiety and heighten fear in the life of God's children. They do this. Why? Why would they do this? Well, on one end, to heighten anxiety and heighten fear in the hearts of God's people attacks our faith in the Lord, our trust. Our confidence in God. He aims, Satan aims, orchestrates that that be attacked. Now it's not just pulling that out of the air. Do you remember when, when, when Jesus told Peter and the disciples that Satan desired to sift them like wheat? What was Jesus' prayer target? What was Jesus' focus? He said, he said, I have prayed though for you that your faith would not fail. Because it was their faith that was under attack. Satan and demons delight in trying to exacerbate this problem of fear and anxiety within God's children. Because it also, another thing that it does, it, 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 it weighs us down and it hinders us in running the race that is marked out for us. You understand? Every one of you, child of God. Before you were ever born, God had a race marked out for you. You have a race to run. You have an anointing from God. You have a gifting from God. You have a place in the kingdom and in the body to fulfill. And fear and anxiety can weigh you down and hinder that race. It can. The Bible tells us in the book of Proverbs, the 12th chapter, tells us in the 25th verse, it says, an anxious heart weighs a man down. What was the problem with the Hebrew children when they were going to enter into the promised land? Why did they wander around for 40 years in the desert? Why did they? Why were they barred out of entering the promised land? Why? Because they didn't trust God. They believed their fears. Have you not seen the people that inherit that land? They are like giants. We are like grasshoppers. And because of that, they did not enter the promised land. Wow. Well, I will still say hallelujah. Because, listen church, we... Despite the things that 
come against us to make us fearful. Despite the things that come against us to make us anxious within. Despite the things that come against us trying to heighten worry within our hearts. Despite the things that are knocking at our heart's door. I would like to remind you that we serve an absolutely sovereign God. He is in control. Things are not flying outside of control. But get this. This is where it gets good to me. Even the schemes that the devil orchestrates to attack the people of God, they are not outside of God's sovereign control. Remember Job and this little sabbatical we've taken from 1 John that we're still on? Remember we had to go to Job one week. We saw that all the harm that Satan brought against his life, it still only happened by the sovereign permission of God. Listen to me. The harm that Satan wants to bring, the things that he wants to frighten us with, the schemes that He constructs in His demonic hordes to bring against us. To do us harm. God. Sovereign God. God intended those things to do us good. You say, what? You remember when the Bible in Genesis chapter 50, you know that little verse we always like to bring up, people will bring up, dealing with Joseph and what his brothers did to him and throwing him into the pit? It's often misquoted. People will misquote it saying, what you meant for my harm, God used for my good. The Bible doesn't say God used it. The Bible says, what you intended for my harm, God intended for my good. Do you see there's a big difference in that? Everything is within the control of God. Listen to me, child of God. Life is not pain-free. It's not adversity-free. And it's all there intended to work for our good. And what Satan is meaning to try to scare us back into the corner and cower down with, I want you to understand today that God is intending and initiated and planned long ago in ages of eternity past for our greatest good. It is an opportunity to grow in grace. It is an opportunity to grow in our faith. And when we, when fear comes and knocks at our door, we have an opportunity to respond to that rightly, or we can respond wrongly. But even when we respond wrongly, child of God, What we respond wrongly to, God will use and teach us. And from our great epic failure, we will learn and grow. You remember the shepherd boy named David? Yeah. Who was going to be king of Israel one day. You remember? David, from whom the line of our great... Savior was going to come from on the human side? Guess what? Fear attacked him many times. And today I want you to turn in your copy of God's Word to Psalm 34. 
And I want us to see, David composed this psalm and David is learning from his own defeat. And what David writes in the 34th Psalm, I am convinced contains principles that he learned because of a time when fear weighed his heart down. And going through his time of running scared, he learned this is what my attitude and my outlook should have been all along. Let's read the first ten verses of Psalm 34. I'm I'm so much into Psalm 34 right now, we might have to come back here next week. Matter of fact, I'm almost convinced that we will. But today I want to read to you the first ten verses. And beginning in verse 1, this psalm that's composed by David, he says, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul makes its boast in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt His name together. I sought the Lord and He answered me and delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to Him are radiant. Their faces shall never be ashamed. This poor man cried and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles. The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear Him and delivers them. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in Him. Oh, fear the Lord, you His saints, for those who fear Him have no lack. The young lions suffer want and hunger, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. This is God's Word. Wow. Wow. David penned this psalm. And the historical background for what David writes here comes out of 1 Samuel chapter 21, verses 10 through 15. And in 1 Samuel chapter 21, we find the occasion where David went before the king of Gath. Achish. And he became afraid and he acted a fool. But after running scared for a while, he apparently composed this psalm. And what takes place in 1 Samuel chapter 21 is the origins of where we have these words, from which we get these words. Now, what was that defeat like? Well, Rather than me summarizing it for you, let's look at God's Word itself and look at every jot and tittle. I want you to hear the occasion for this psalm. What happened? Now, he didn't pen this psalm the day this happened. He didn't pen this psalm the next week after this happened. This was after going through some stuff, some afflictions, that he learned how to react to the things that scare him. How the Lord will deliver him from all his fears, earthly fears. Let's go back to 1 Samuel a minute. Let me read to you what was going on with David. In 1 Samuel 
chapter 21, beginning in verse 10. It says, And David rose and fled that day from Saul. Now he's already running from Saul, okay? Saul's out to kill him. And he went to Achish, the king of Gath. And the servants of Achish said to him, Is not this David the king of the land? Did they not sing to one another of him in dances? Saul has struck down his thousands and David his ten thousands. And David took these words to heart and was much afraid. You hear that? And David took these words to heart and was much afraid of Achish, the king of Gath. So, David responded with faith and overcame his fear right there in that moment. No. So, he changed his behavior before them and he pretended to be insane in their hands and made marks on the doors of the gate and let his spittle run down his beard. Then Achish said to his servants, Behold, you see, this man's mad. When they... Why then have you brought him to me? Do I like madmen that you have to brought that you've brought this fellow to behave as a madman in my presence? Shall this fellow come into my house? And so they had David taken out, and then go to chapter twenty-two. It says then David departed there, and he escaped to the cave, and he ran, still running. But you see, it was a time in which fear weighed his heart down. That is the beginnings of what was going to cause great affliction in his life that was going to bring him to the point where he would learn some things about how God is a deliverer from fears and how we ought to react to fears. Thus, I hang over this message this morning looking at some principles in this particular text. Answering the door when fear and anxiety knocks. Because it's going to knock. You say, well, I'm just not going to answer the door. (laughs) Uh, uh, You can't not answer the door. Because if you don't answer the door, fear wins. You stay in your homes, you lock yourself in, you hide, you cut the lights off, you shake, and it still terrorizes you. You've got to open the door and face it, and you face it in a certain way. And I believe in Psalm 34, we see some things David has learned. You ready? What are some things that we can see and observe in this psalm that found its origins in the day that David took some things to heart and became afraid? Well, what did David learn? David learned, first of all, I'm going to offer you six or seven things. David learned, first of all, that no matter what he's hearing that's tempting him to be afraid, no matter what's coming at him, no matter what he's facing, David has learned that he must praise the Lord at all times. Do you hear me? You praise the Lord at all times. You praise Him, not just in the good times when all you, everything's going okay, but when you are facing things that can frighten you to death. 
you praise the Lord. You praise Him. You praise Him. You praise Him with the lyre and the tambourine. And you praise Him with song and dance. You praise Him. Praise the Lord. You let everything that has the breath of life within it praise the Lord. You praise Him. You praise Him. You know why you praise Him? Because no matter what is outside the door of your heart, you praise Him because your God is greater and worthy of your praise. You praise Him because as you praise Him, as you determine, I will. See, David in his redeemed will said, I will extol the Lord. I will boast in the Lord. I will praise the Lord. He determined, I've learned, I will do that. At all times. Even when I'm facing great troubles. I will do that. Because when you praise the Lord. And you praise Him based on the truth you know about Him. You, you, the things that He has shown you in His Word. About the kind of God that He is. You praise Him on the basis of that. And when you praise Him on the basis of truth. And you praise Him on the basis of who He is. That encourages your faith. You praise who God is for you. David could praise Him because David had known Him. Praise the Lord at all times. When the doctor calls and says, Malignant, praise the Lord. I didn't say praise Him for the cancer. I said praise God for who He is. He's got this. He's got you. may not unfold the way you want, but it will unfold according to the perfect plan of God. Praise Him. Praise Him. Second thing I would note to you out of Psalm 34 is that David didn't just praise Him all the time. He praised Him all the time with all of his soul. David says in verse number 2, David says in verse number 2, he goes on right after he says, I will praise the Lord at all times. I will bless the Lord at all times. He says, my soul makes boast in the Lord. My soul, His innermost being, makes boast in the Lord. It's not just words only. It's not just, I'm going to sing a praise chorus just with my mouth. This is, this, listen, this is something that comes out of the deep seat of David. And you know why and how David could praise him out from the depths of his soul is again because David had known the Lord. And the way you worship Him with gladness and thanksgiving is by knowing who God is. The Bible says in the 100th Psalm, which is one that is the context of praise and worship and glad service to the Lord, says that you do it by knowing the Lord your God. David knew him. David knew him. David knew that he was Jehovah Nisi, that he's the Lord who goes before him. He's the Lord Sid Canoe, his righteousness. He knew that he was the Lord Jehovah Sabbath, the God who goes and fights his arm and fights for him, the captain of the Lord's army. He knew these things. Therefore, no matter what he faced, he praised the Lord. David had been in a ditch. David had been in trouble. And David had seen God's faithfulness in the past. Therefore, he will praise Him now. He will praise Him always. He will praise Him from the depth of his heart. I don't understand how we just sing so coolly about certain things about God when it ought to erupt something in the inside of you that is outside of you, that is not manufactured by you, but has been birthed 
by the Holy Spirit and His truth where it collides in your heart. Now, David praised the Lord with all his being. David did. But David did not only praise the Lord at all times and praise the Lord with all his being. David also made sure that he praised the Lord corporately. David praised the Lord corporately. You say, what do you mean by that? I'm talking about with others. Yes, he praised the Lord in the darkness of the night. Yes, he did. But he also praised the Lord amongst the throng of God's people. Listen to what the text says at the end of verse 2 and over into verse 3. At the end of verse 2 he says, Let the humble hear. Hear what? Let the humble hear his boasting in the Lord. Let the humble hear and be glad. Because somehow, in some way, his praising of the Lord is connected to the joy of those who hear it. And he didn't just want them to hear it because over in verse 3, he goes on and he extends an invitation for you to join with him in boasting in the Lord. That's why he says, oh come, let us magnify the Lord with me. Magnify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. There is something special about that. Magnifying the Lord together. Not magnifying like he's an amoeba and you're blowing him up with a microscope, but because he's a huge, big, grand being, you're magnifying like a telescope. He's so large you can't perceive him, so you've got to bring him into focus. But you're praising him together. I'm telling you there's something special about that. That's why it is important that in the church... We need to be more concerned about truth in a song than we need to be about style of a song. Because style is irrelevant, but truth is eternal. It concerns me more. I had rather hear a I had rather hear a contemporary song that is of theological substance than a hymn that was a hundred years old and had none. Now, no, don't misunderstand me. You're going to take what I said and run out here with it. Listen to me. Your hymnal is full of rich theology. That's not what I'm saying. But every single hymn that's there is not. And there are some things that don't praise God or exalt God that ought never be sung in the church gathering. I won't go down that road either right now. But the important thing is that we take God's truth and we praise Him with it. That's why we have the command from Paul that we have in Colossians chapter 3 and verse 16. Do you remember what that says? Oh, let me read it to you. I don't want to lose any jot and tittle of verse 16. He says, let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly. So the basis of what he is saying is letting the Word of Christ dwell in you richly. He says, let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your heart to God. Why? There's something special and powerful about it. When you're singing 
in truth from the heart. When you're singing in truth from the heart, there's something special about it. Especially in the battle of the satanic scheme of fear to dominate your heart. There is spiritual warfare that takes place when the people of God praise Him and worship Him according to the truth of who He is. You know that. You should. You remember 2 Chronicles chapter 20? God's people were going to face all these pagan nations. Moab, Seir, I don't remember what all, who all they were. It was several pagan nations that were coming together to attack God's people. So what does God's people, what do they do? They put the choir on the front lines. They, they didn't put mighty men with swords out there. They put the choir on the front lines and they sang that God is good. His love endures forever. That's all they did. And as they praised God, all of these pagan nations that were coming against them suddenly turned on themselves and devoured each other and were defeated. Why? Because God wanted them to know that He is the one who goes forth and fights your battles for you. He is the one that gets the glory. He's the one that gets the honor. He's the one that gets the praise. I'm telling you, praise Him. Worship Him. Sing of His amazing grace. Sing of His victory in Jesus. Sing how great He is. Sing all of these great and wonderful truths about God. Sing about how He can satisfy your soul like no other as we sung this morning. Sing about how majestic He is. And don't sing it like it's something you have to do. My goodness, it must be birthed from the heart. And we must worship Him and adore Him and praise Him. We must. We are not called to worship like we are at a funeral service. No. I tell you to act like you're at a funeral service at all times is irreverent to God. If you don't praise Him with all your soul, how can you fear God? Who is the only one to be feared? I guess I'll mention something else about that in a minute. Praise the Lord corporately. Also praise the Lord out of humility. David says the poor man cried and the Lord heard. David talked about how his praising would make the humble in heart glad. When David talks about the poor man, he's not talking about somebody that's necessarily financially poor. He's talking about Poor in spirit, I believe. He, he, he didn't fully understand it in his limited Old Testament light, but we know that Jesus said, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Of heaven. 
And so we must come to Him and praise Him at all times with all our being from a stance that says, God, I am desperate for You because I have nothing to offer You within myself. I cannot praise myself, but I praise You because You are what I need. You are all I need. You are my lot and portion. Now, Number five, praise the Lord in holy fear. Listen to verse 9 and verse 7. In verse 7 it says, The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear Him and delivers them. Delivers who? Delivers those who fear Him. Verse 9 says, Oh, Fear the Lord, you His saints. For those who fear Him have no lack. Fear Him. Without fearing the Lord, there can be no true praise. And to fear Him is not to be absolutely frightened by Him. Like you're frightened of an earthly fear. To fear Him is to revere Him. Honor Him. Bow before His authority. The authority of His Word is to fear Him. And in fearing God, we realize that The fear of God is, as has often been said, the antidote for all the earthly fears we face. For the angel of the Lord encamps about those who fear Him. And He delivers them from all the troubles that they see. Wow. Seek Him. Fear Him, you saints, and you will lack nothing. You will lack nothing. You may think, I can't face this. I can't deal with this. I can't do it. But fear Him and you will lack nothing. He will supply you with what you need to walk through your affliction or overcome your affliction. But either way, He is good. It's for our good and for His glory. Number six, seek the Lord whom you praise. Seek the Lord whom you praise. Listen to what David has learned. This is why David tells us in verse four, I sought the Lord and He answered me. Who did He seek? He sought the Lord and He answered me and delivered me from all my fears. If you go down to um, verse 10, the text says, The young lions suffer in hunger, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Seek Him. In the context of praising God, David sets the example of seeking God in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter number 16. 
where he says, Oh, give thanks to the Lord and call upon His name. Make known His deeds among the people. Sing to Him. Sing praises to Him. Tell of His wondrous works. Glory in His holy names. Let the hearts of those who seek Him rejoice. Seek the Lord and His strength. Seek His presence continually. You say, Scott, why would you make a big deal out of this making sure I'm seeking the Lord? Because obviously if I'm praising God and I'm doing these things, I'm seeking the Lord. Be discerning, my dear friend, not necessarily. There is a difference between seeking deliverance and seeking the God of deliverance. There is a difference in seeking the truth about God and the God of all that truth. There's a difference in wanting to know all of the written Word versus knowing the God who wrote it. We must make sure that it is not the doctrines of God we seek, but the God of those doctrines. Now don't misunderstand me. Because some people hear me say that, they think, well, he's downplaying. No, doctrine is essential. Doctrine is the essence of truth. You must know right doctrine. Biblical doctrine. I'm not talking about man-made doctrine. Seek Him. Seek Him. Seek Him, not victory, not deliverance. Set your heart to seek Him. Seek Him. Seek Him and you will be reminded that He is. He is the God you seek. The God who will strengthen you. Seek Him and seek His presence. He's bigger than whatever it is that's wanting to create fear in you and result in anxiety in you perpetually. He's bigger. Number seven. I would remind you that the goodness of God is fuel for praise and faith. The goodness of God is fuel for faith, faith for praise. Excuse faith. I'm, 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 I'm joining two words together: faith, praise, and faith. Um, verse eight, David wrote, "O taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in Him." Taste and see that the Lord is good and know that He is good no matter what you're facing. Listen to me. No matter how horrific the horror is that's knocking at your door, remember, God is absolutely sovereign and absolutely good. Therefore, He can be trusted with whatever His child faces. Now, all of these things in Psalm 34 came out of a time in David's life when he ran and allowed fear to dominate him. And he learned the hard way. I hate to tell you this, but usually we have to learn the hard way. In all of these things I've told you, will only become a reality through the fire of affliction. I'm not going to mislead you. As a matter of fact, we may, Lord willing, return to the 34th Psalm next week and consider how affliction is what 
leads you to the place of being a person who perpetually praises God in all things. Now I must warn you, everyone who is here, everyone who hears the sound of my voice, These principles will only frustrate you if you're not born of God's Spirit. You must be born again. Born of His Spirit. That only comes by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. You say, Pastor, you say that every week, and I will say it until I die. Because so many people do not understand the simplest reality about the gospel that saves. That's one of the reasons you have numbers and scores of lost people affiliated with churches, giving lip service to Jesus and trying to work their way to heaven because they've never trusted Christ alone to be mighty to save and change the life and forgive and wipe sin away. They... So my prayer is that if you need Christ, Today, in His sovereign grace, you would be born again. Grace to you, and may the Lord strengthen you this week, this day, and all that you face. Amen.